Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko, my co-host as always, my twin brother Josh Motenko. That's right. I maintain that the Celtics, at least this year, are always one week away from greatness. And our good friend Mike Minkoff. How's it going, gentlemen? I'm uh, bringing the grit just like the Celtics of, of the past week. <laughs> That's why you're the most smart of our squad. I am the heart and soul. <laughs> Follow us at Celtics Pride Pod. Uh, today we have a special guest. We're going to highlight one of the Celtics blog writers, Jeremy Stevens, at Jeremy WCT. Jeremy uh, wrote a couple of interesting articles lately on Brad Stevens' rotations. He agrees with us that he hates Brad Stevens' rotations and that this trade is, is helpful with that. And he's also a lover of Romeo Langford. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me on. I'm glad, I'm glad we started off on the Romeo note. That's probably the best way to introduce me. There you go. Yeah, and, and we haven't even mentioned that you're a distant, distant cousin of Brad Stevens, right? Yeah, you know what's funny? I, I don't look like him at all, but I have like a bunch of family that if you if you like sent Brad to my family reunion, he would fit in perfectly. <laughs> Last name and all. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I got I got a bunch of questions for you, Jeremy. First, we want to get to know you a little bit. Like, what's your story? How did you develop a love for the Celtics originally? Um, how did I get into the Celtics? So I guess my origin with basketball traces to a couple things, one of which is mostly just like I credit it mostly to like Sports Center highlights because I would just wake up and I would either watch cartoons before school or watch Sports Center. There would be all these crazy dunks on TV, and my little child brain just wanted to watch people get dunked on. So it was, I was always looking forward to the top ten uh, Sports Center plays because usually, you know, during basketball season it was that. And then I just kind of, you know, drifted towards watching the Celtics games from there, and. Um, I was really drawn to guys like Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker who had like this this swagger to them which at the time they had like almost no business carrying themselves with. You know, we would watch the team win like I don't know 40 games but they would play like they were 60 game winner kind of guys. I really love that. Um, so I just kind of idolized basketball players right away. And how did you like get into the business? How did you join the staff at Celtics Blog? Tell us about that. My blog pipeline is basically, I started a page on some site that I don't even think my account exists anymore, um, and I wrote a bunch of garbage, and then I sent that to whatever site I wrote for next, and then I sent the stuff I wrote for that site to, like, I think I wrote for Fansided and Red's Army, that was John Corrales' site, and then I sent stuff from that to the Celtics blog people, and then, and then they took me in there. And now you're famous. I guess. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about the Celtics. Uh, how are you feeling about the team today? I'm feeling good and nice and validated because I, I don't know, I'm kind of a grouch on Twitter, um, but I guess we all are during this, like, stupid COVID season where it's like half the league can struggle to even win, like, two or three games in a row. But um, I've maintained that when this team's healthy, they're good. And if you look at the, you know, their early eight and three start, where they're mostly healthy, and you have to fast forward basically to a couple weeks ago to see them mostly healthy again, they're winning at the same pace, which is like seventy percent of their games, which is really good. So, um, yeah, I, 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 the the direction of the team is all positive to me, even if the if our record's been decimated by a worldwide plague and some untimely leg injuries. Wait a minute, you've maintained positivity throughout the pandemic with regards to the Celtics? Basketball is like the only thing I can muster myself to be positive about, so <laughs> yes. That's that's unbelievable. Join the club, man. It's like you and me against the world, I feel like. I would say my lowest point, though, was um, I kind of thought maybe 15 to 20 games ago that Brad Stevens had maybe forgotten like what position our players play. Um, so that was probably the furthest from positive that I was, but I've always felt good about the players themselves. Okay. Well, which, which of the recent games, like the recent comeback wins that we've had, did you like more when we scored 145 points against the T-Wolves or barely topped a hundred against the Nuggets? Yeah. The Nuggets win is way, way, way more significant to me. Um, yeah. I mean, the Wolves are just horrid. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how we give up that many. I mean, they have... 
I, I respect Cat and um, what's his name, Anthony Edwards' scores. I mean, I respect it, but like outside of that, I don't know how you give up almost 140 points to that team. Denver, are I actually you, think, is you, insanely good. Uh, are you overlooking the great D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what's funny is like three years ago, I talked myself into him being really good because he was an all-star for the Nets or whatever season that was. Yeah. And um, the, I, I guess that iteration of the Nets was just one of those like lightning in a bottle, bunch of 25-year-olds happened to be good at the same time or whatever. Um, everything he's done since, I can't really say I'm impressed. He was but, a uh, great prospect to get in uh, in franchise mode in NBA 2K in like three seasons ago. You remember that, Adam? <laughs> I was going to comment on that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really the the highest value basketball thing I can think of for D'Angelo Russell, unfortunately. Um, so no Josh Akogi fans here either, apparently. I mean, he had 20 steals that game. So hey, look, this Nuggets game, I feel like the Nuggets just lay down and laid an egg and, and like... You know, we can sit here and, and like think that it was a big win against a West Coast team that was really good, but I feel like they just played terribly and they played. Wait, well. time out, time out. This is coming from the guy who just claimed he was one of the two positive people <laughs> for the entire season. Now you're now you're crapping all over the Celtics' best win of the season. I just don't want to. God, I really don't want to highlight it as the best win of the season. I, I just feel like that. Do, do you have out. any other candidates to point to? <laughs> <laughs> Like one. I think a lot of their defensive stops were legitimate, though. Like there were some stupid turnovers, but a lot of it. I mean, Grant like threw Jokic in a locker. I don't think you can overlook that. Even if you if you want to write off like five turnovers that should have never happened, there's actually some legitimate defense being played, which is kind of this entire season across the league. There's like zero defense being played. So yeah. just to do it for like yeah. ten minutes, I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, I mean the Celtics are seven and three in the last ten games. Uh, that's since the trade deadline. You know, we're on a three-game winning streak. Um, you know, there's been a lot of malaise on the court, a lot of frustration from the coaching staff, a lot of full-on fan depression. And, you know, so the question is, do you think this team is finally turning their season around? I turning their season around. That, I don't know, that's, that is a strong, that's a strong statement. Okay, let me, let me unpack it. Because from my perspective, we saw this team go very far in the playoffs and lose because of immaturity and you know we're just haven't seen our guys grow up yet to to be able to win on that kind of a stage consistently and it feels like because we've got a lot of youth on this team that we're we're always waiting for when they figure it out and especially this season i mean we've been waiting all year for them to just get over 500 here's here's my analogy it's not a great answer to what you just said but here's what i came up with yeah. You know that giant boat that just got unstuck from a canal? Oh yeah. That's that's like that's like what our season just did. I don't know if we, if we turned it around so to speak. It we it was just stuck in the canal and now it is just kind of on the course that it should have been anyways. Does that make does that resemble an answer? I I think I think it does. I have a so I have a quick question. This was the second part of this of this question. Do you do you see again seven and three since the trade deadline in our last ten games and like with like the I don't know a, a top five defense over that span I think a top six net uh, rating oh no actually top four net rating in the league in that that past ten game stretch um, do you think how much of that do you think is connected to the trade deadline uh, both you know whether whether it's deals that were made or deals that were not made. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, a, a bunch of my friends were saying this is a reference that's over my head, which is why I'm clarifying that other people said it. But they were saying that Ainge basically had to Billy Bean Brad Stevens into uh, like not playing stupid lineups. And admittedly, I haven't seen Moneyball yet, which I believe is what that's referring to. But um, what was it? I mean, Tice was one of my favorite players, but the Tice Thompson lineup drove me insane. Teague, we knew was bad two years ago or whenever he originally was with the Timberwolves. Um, it, it was no, just I sort will, of, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you can't give Ainge credit for Billy beaning Stevens away from playing Teague when Ainge is the idiot that signed Teague in the first place. <laughs> yeah. He gets no points for getting rid of Teague. I don't think, 
I don't really blame anyone for thinking Thompson would start the year so bad. Thompson's actually been decent for like five games. I don't know if I should read into it or if I should just wait. The answer is usually to wait. Um, don't get me started even on Thompson. Whether or not he's good, the Tice Thompson lineup was just like just like war criminal levels of. <laughs> why would you do this in two thousand and twenty one, where you already know you want like eight wings on your roster, um, and I guess Tice is just like an oversized wing that you play a center, which is fine. But then you play the center anyways, so now you're playing oversized wing, as an oversized wing. But like stuck in the court. There's just so many problems with that. Um, so I think breaking that up was good. Even if the net rating eventually evened out to be like not horrible. I just don't want to look at it. Um, and now we have quotes Brad from Brad saying like, you know, I think we should play Grant at the five, which is kind of what I wanted. So yes, the trade deadline did was a, was a nice cleanup. I think, you know, Mike, not only did it did it like ship out certain guys that we were frustrated that Brad was playing too much, but I feel like it changed kind of the expectations of the guys on the bench. Like now you finally got guys on the bench who aren't really expecting to play, and that's kind of the way we want it because, you know, we want the guys who are obviously better to be getting in. Yeah, in the last handful of games, and certainly in the last three games that we've won, uh, outside of garbage time, I think only 10 people have played. Um, and that includes, like, Shemi Ojale playing, like, seven minutes, like, in a game here and there. Um, for the most part, th- this rotation just has been much, much uh, tighter, which is great. But I also think, and the reason I, I thought we, you know, what you were saying about Grant Williams' defense against Jokic uh, kind of transitioned into this this part of the conversation, Jeremy, is because in particular, Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson have been like leading all of a sudden a second unit that is just putting the clamps down um, on teams. And it's because, you know, Grant Williams is finally getting to play in this like mostly five, sometimes four man role that we were excited about for him at the start of the season that he never got to with when Tice was here and there were and Thompson and Time Lord who are even less versatile than Tice. Um, but as you noted a second ago, Jeremy, so Tristan Thompson has been playing since so he had I, I looked this up, he had three duds in um early what was it? Early in in like the first half of February, like, uh, and then starting February 14th, uh, since February 14th and this, you know, acknowledging that he missed a big chunk of time because of COVID, uh, in, in March, Tristan Thompson has just been like pretty notably our best regular rotation player. So among players that have played, that play at least 15 minutes a game that have played at least 10 games, uh, over that span, he, he has a net rating of like 9.1. The next closest person is Kemba Walker, actually, who's at 5.8. Um, like Jalen and Jason are at like in the threes or twos. Like Tristan Thompson has just been <laughs> our best regular player for a pretty long stretch at this point. Um, and I don't think it's a mistake that we've had three phenomenal, gritty, uh, strong defensive games in a, in a row, three wins since Tristan got back. Um, he was especially instrumental in that game against the the Knicks. Um, so I think the trade, you know, and, and to me, just as far as this question about whether the team has finally turned their season around, I think this season has shown us we can't hang on to anything too tightly. But I do think the fact that we're playing this well and we have Evan Fournier is going to be returning to this team in a few games. And we st- we started to get to see what he could bring you know, if his minutes go to like Romeo's time, and I know that's going to offend some people on the line here, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm going to say something controversial, which is that Evan Fournier is probably a better player today than Romeo Langford. Uh, I think I think that you know we have a pretty a pretty palatable nine man rotation. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Well, you're you're talking about two guys that we know who they are, like Grant Williams and Tristan Thompson. Their ceiling is what we're watching, I feel like, right now. 
on his best night, Grant Williams is not going to do anything special, but he's going to be kind of gritty, and he's going to lock people down. He's going to try to make smart plays and not do too much. And that we're not going to see Grant Williams throughout his career do something different than that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's great that we have those kinds of guys coming off the bench. That's what we need from our bench for sure. You know, with Fournier, I wrote, well, I guess everyone wrote about Nesmith when they when they drafted him. I think Fournier is what people talk to themselves into Nesmith being, where maybe you don't have like a master score at, at any one area or any type of shot, but someone who can come off a screen one play and then dribble into something the next play and drive the next play and so on and so forth. Um, kind of a long, lengthy guy, not really a defender, but if he's on your, I, I've kind of, adjusted my expectations of like okay maybe not everyone on your basketball team needs to be a good defender i think we had a couple of like aberrations seasons where we had like 10 guys who could switch every position and it it just wasn't something that could be kept but um you know it was like morris and baines we basically just like ran a football team right um but yeah so so fournier fits all that stuff that i thought nesmith who maybe was marketed as like a game ready rookie i don't really remember now but either way fournier kind of fills in all that stuff so i like that yeah i I feel like fournier is what we thought gordon hayward was going to be someone who could score but also move the ball and play smart and be a team guy and shoot you you say this stuff to kill me josh i i I swear to i swear (laughs) gordon hayward was in fact that guy (laughs) you realize he was on the court most of last season, just not in the playoffs. I forgot to include Hayward, but that definitely fits into my like running it. You know, we had lineup between Jalen, Jason, and Hayward, and Morris and Baines, who who at, there had to have been at least one game where maybe we had all those guys. I don't know, but the point being, and Horford, did I say Horford? Either way, uh, I mean, there's that. That's like the most absurd defensive thing, where like the worst defender in that equation is probably like Jalen or or Morris, who are still like pretty decent. Jeremy, you wrote you wrote an article on the blog about how the trade basically helps Stevens uh, because it, it kind of forces him into the rotations that I think all of us on this podcast want to see. Uh, but I'm curious to hear more after seeing, I mean, obviously we haven't seen enough of um, uh, Fournier um, to, to answer this question, but, but I'm curious about like specifically What's how did the players slot in in a way now that you feel like you you're happier to see, especially a couple of weeks after the trade? I particularly like Grant at the five. I think I hinted at that earlier, but I think that's important. Um, I guess besides uh, when he plays with Thompson, he does a decent like power forward impression. But I still think I don't know. I like him at the five, and I like when he gets opportunities to play with the ball in his hands a little more which I think he's been empowered to do. Grant's actually like kind of a decent like quick decision spin off of someone and try to post or do like that really short floater thing. Kind of the move that Smart does when he spins off of someone. Um so I kind of just want more of all of that, which there's a little more room for now. I like Pritchard's development quite a bit and I actually wanted to respond to something a couple minutes ago where you're saying like the guys remaining from the trades kind of all are more cemented in their roles. And I felt like Pritchard was, for a bit, he was not trying to be himself as much as he was trying to be not Jeff Teague when he was playing. And now he can't be that because we just don't have Jeff Teague anymore. So I feel like he plays a little more within himself. Um, so I, I, yeah, I feel like sometimes, because we had all these like disaster quarters where I feel like the bench would come in and just try to be not what was happening as opposed to just like, play whatever they want to do um so sorry did that i got sidetracked does that answer that question uh yeah i think so i mean are you are you happier now seeing the rotations the way that they are it's really a rotation question i think the lineups brad has been running have been really really nice i i like a lot of what i'm seeing um when i'm even was this after the death yeah like (laughs) i was so impressed even that like they played. They managed to play Taco for like not disastrous minutes, which I don't think gets its fair share because he's kind of like he gets treated too much like a meme. Where I don't think people look 
too objectively at what he does. I'm not saying he's good, because he's kind of not. But think of all those 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 like stretches before the deadline where we would not score for like seven minutes and turn the ball over 13 times. Yeah. And just compare that to kind of getting beat down by the Sixers. But even then, you can play Taco, and it's like not the worst thing ever. Like that is such a massive improvement. Um, to to be able to slot someone in like that and not have the game fall apart. So I, but Taco's kind of the outlier here. I think the rotations have been really nice with Grant Pritchett and Romeo kind of being able to do their thing, and um, Jalen and Jason being like extra take the game over at the end. I feel like it's more those guys finding Kemba than it is Kemba trying to get them going, which is kind of the correct dynamic there. Mm. And with Romeo. You talked about his defense, uh, how he impacts games uh, on that end, which is surprising. I mean, I, God, it must have been a year ago. I, I did a whole piece on um, on this on this podcast about his improvement from college on defense. It's really been remarkable how much he's improved. Uh, but also, you talked about his shooting form. Uh, what are you seeing from him with his time on the court recently? Yeah. So the shooting thing. I don't know. I just like to watch the clips on YouTube where I just like hit the space bar over and over. So you get like every frame of how they shoot. Um, so I usually just kind of like to look at the release point and like what guys do with their legs. Um, so he was like kind of doing this bow legged thing. And I think maybe Jalen used to do that too, but his, his, it's like his knees were like inverted or whatever. Um, so like that's kind of straightened out so he can go up and down, uh, or jump straight up and down. And then, he kind of had that release where he held the ball at the release point for like a quarter second too long and then would fling it. And now it's kind of all one continuous like go up and follow through, which is really nice. So I think, I don't know if he'll ever be like a three-point sniper kind of guy, but um, I mean, it's, it's already like so much better. He, he had it in the article. He shot like, some, you know, like seven of 25 from three last year and then he started this year three of six or something. Um. Small sample size, but yeah, he's, not for nothing. He's 3 of 7 this year. Uh, he's also uh, from 3, so 42%, obviously, tiny sample size. But, you know, better it beats, beats uh, you know, 0 for 7 or 1 for 7. Um, that said, he is 6 for 18 overall from field goal uh, overall shooting, so 33%. Um, not not a major offensive contributor. He, the defensive rating in the five games Romeo's been playing and averaging about 15 minutes a game is 97.9, which would be by far and away the best defensive rating uh, in the league uh, for a team over over the a full season or any full season. Um, probably not sustainable, but our offensive rating has been pretty putrid with him on the court so far. So, um, you know, it's pretty clear. And he had some really nice defensive possessions against Denver. Uh, he he brings kind of someone that can stay with quicker guards on the perimeter and prevent them from getting into the paint, which we've really been missing. So that that's nice. Um, but but some clear trade-offs with his game right now, and and his youth is showing. He's still he's nine days younger than Aaron Neesmith. Um so he's you know and he's obviously not played a ton given his injury history <laughs> so he's played less than Pritchard i think people are are forgetting how wow. inexperienced romeo That's is crazy. in the nba yeah. it feels like a long time because obviously he played summer league back whatever and then we had this super long covid break to elongate that season and all the way up until now he's played i mean that would have been like his 36th or 37th game and pritchard has played in like pretty much all of our games except for one or two maybe which is more <laughs> so Jeremy, what do you I mean, think Ro- Romeo's ceiling is? Um, you know, I was trying to to come up with a comparison because I was really proud of myself for doing like the Neesmith Fournier thing, and I wanted to come up with one for Romeo. Uh, and, I, and the best I could come up with was like not literally Tony Allen, but I was just trying to think of a defender who likes to drive the ball. Um, so so maybe some kind of iteration of that. Tony couldn't shoot at all. Right. So there might be a trade-off there where won't won't be the you know Tony Allen was like six-time All Defensive Team, so maybe trade off some of that for some jump shooting. So like a a more skewed Tony Allen kind of guy. Yeah, I'm a little crazier than you. I've been known to to think that Romeo Langford has All Star potential. Um, but oh boy. I'm uh, on board. I, I thought you might be. I, I just love 
how he's fitting in and playing his role right now. I mean, he's a guy who's been an offensive player his entire, you know, career before the NBA. Um, and now all of a sudden in the NBA, he's a, he's a defender and known as a defender. I mean, that to me, that's kind of a remarkable um, assertion of, of team ego and sacrifice and selflessness uh, to just fit in and, and make it in the NBA. And I think that he's got the offensive potential to be way more than that. Um, so to me, his ceiling is way higher than what we're seeing now, but it's the most important th- thing for me to, to relay to the listeners is that as we watch Romeo Langford play, it's important to remember, we're just now starting to see some facial hair on that chin. Like he's now finally <laughs> able to like, <laughs> to just grow facial hair. Like that's, that's the kind of guy that we're looking at. And, and he's just so young that his future's bright in my opinion. Tatum got super nasty when that beard came in. <laughs> so there might be True. some science but, to it. But this is also why, Josh, I do want to, you know, again, just kind of make sure you're emotionally prepared that when Fournier comes back, that probably means Romeo is going to barely play. Well, Romeo's been playing above our guy, uh, you know, the guy we don't even want to say his name. Yeah, well, he's been playing against so, uh, the one, the only, the one, the only uh, Shemi-capable driver, dri- uh, dribbler, Shemi Ojale. Um, so, but uh, as long as he's ahead of him in the depth chart, I'm good. Okay. I don't. Okay. I, yeah. I, I don't need. I don't need Romeo to play uh, over Fournier. Fournier is going to help us win games. Uh, yeah. And and just the fact that we're seeing Romeo play with the starters a lot these days is going to help his chances of you know at least being a contributor in the playoffs or someone who can help in a, a high-profile game. So I do think it's interesting, um, and this is a, a, a tangent. I'll keep it very short, but when I was digging into uh, Tristan Thompson's kind of net rating numbers, um, the, the cut I presented was intentional with a 15-minute-per-game cutoff because about 14 minutes per game over that stretch um, – Aaron Neesmith had the second highest net rating on the team. Uh, And he's just gotten totally buried. Uh, And I do, you know, I was arguably his harshest critic at the beginning of the season. Uh, I still don't think he's amazing, but by all accounts, he's been playing. He, he was playing as well as Romeo's playing now. Um, So I, you know, this does speak to just to me, the more the more general weirdness of, of some of Steven's rotations decisions. And there's just some choices that he makes that I can't for the life of me understand what is governing the decision. Um, you know, sometimes I, I assume there's some behind the scenes ego management or just kind of role and promise and relationship management stuff that he's maintaining, but other stuff it's just it seems pretty arbitrary and like he's kind of making it up as he goes along a, a little bit more than it feels like he should be as a, you know, NBA coach. Well, I think Romeo's way more reliable right now defensively. And that's the big factor. If you're a coach, you know, you want to trust the guys who are out there defensively first and whatever happens offensively is, is kind of a bonus when you're talking about a role like, like Neesmith and Romeo Langford are in right now. And if Neesmith was shooting lights out, it might be different. You know, that's what he was billed as. And I'm sure he's going to reach that potential, but right now he's not shooting at lights out. So there's no reason. To but that's the him. irony. That's the irony because yeah. our defense was our defense was better with Neesmith on the court. Yeah. Based on the advanced stats, so I, I you know, I agree. I mean, test doesn't show. Langford's, yeah, Langford's a better positional defender. You definitely trust him if he's like on an island trying to defend against penetration much more than you do. Uh, Neesmith right now so I, I imagine that more or less and I'm sure he knows the rotations better and I think Neesmith made up for kind of not knowing where to be or what to do with just kind of crazy hustle and some surprising athleticism um, but it was definitely more erratic so uh, I'm, I imagine you're right Josh but it still uh, was a little striking to me just based on the advanced numbers that uh, over about a 20 game sample Neesmith was just we were better on the court pretty decisively with Neesmith on it versus off it. And he just got out, kicked out of the rotation. All right, guys, I wanted to bring up a topic here that that's kind of been growing on me a little bit. And, and maybe this is an article 
idea suggestion for you, Jeremy, if you want to write about it. But to me, the evolution of the whole like Tatum Brown debate over the years has, has gotten kind of interesting recently. And let me just unpack it for you guys for a second. So, right. Obviously this started the, the year that Tatum came into the league when he was a rookie and Jalen was in his second year. Um, and you know, they both had a, a solid seasons averaging 14 points per game. And they were secondary players on this team with Horford and Kyrie, et cetera. Um, and then everyone anointed Tatum as the better player, mostly because of his scoring. And he backed that up by making the all-star team first. And then Brown emerged, you know, through his involvement with the Players Association and during the Black Lives Matter movement as the better leader, I think. Um, And if you remember, he also, Jalen Brown also did the NBA mentoring event in the Vegas Summer League after his rookie year um, for other NBA players who were under 21 because there's nothing to do in Vegas when you're under 21. And so, you know, so right away after his first year, he's getting involved in, in a leadership role around the NBA with new rookies. Um, and Brown just seems like the more composed player with the refs. He seems to have more, a little bit more of a team ego, a little bit more uh, team oriented and, and selflessness than Tatum does. Um, and now that Brown is also an all star, it seems like he's emerging as kind of the leader of this team, you know, along with Marcus Smart, of course. Um, but it seems like everyone's seeing the depth of his leadership abilities. And to me, that's made the Brown Tatum debate, which kind of like fell off. It kind of just seemed like, okay, that debate's over. Tatum's the better player. And now I feel like with Brown stepping into his all-star form, you know, is this debate kind of back on? I'm curious what you think, Jeremy. Well, how do I start here? I guess, I mean, on both sides of the ball, I just flat out think Tatum is better. Um, Brown being more composed and more consistent, I can agree with. I think Jalen has become a better decision maker on offense and specific, like specifically with shooting. Jalen or Jason's probably still a better passer, but um, like for example, they're both pretty good mid range shooters. But their approach to it is Jalen. He he like he kind of knows what's in his bag as far as. Sorry, I'm jumbling. I have like a million things I want to say. Once. Yeah, it's all good. Jalen will create space because he know he can do he knows he can do that and then he'll hit a mid-range shot. Tatum's approach is I'm gonna cross this guy, I'm gonna cross him the other way, I'm gonna shimmy this and then zigzag that, and then God forbid I haven't made any space by then. And guess what? <laughs> a lot of the time he doesn't, and that's that's kind of the difference there. Um mechanically, I, I do think Tatum is just just outright better. Defensively, Brown just has too many lapses off the ball to really to even be comparable. Um, and that's where the biggest gap is, really. Like, Tatum could be an all-NBA defender. Brown is, like, maybe not one of the five best defenders on the team. Whoa. So that's, that's like, too big of a gap. That's too news long. to me. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like Brown is a solid, at least on the ball, he's a really, really good defender. Yeah, he's a see, terrible team defender, though. Yeah, I do see <laughs> off the ball that, that his lapses are, are extreme, but to make him not even a top five defender on the team when he's athletically that gifted and that good on the ball. Wow. Well, Tristan, Tristan, Marcus, and Tatum are for sure above him. I was going to say Tatum and Smart, and then Rob is sort of borderline. I feel like he doesn't get super cooked Uh, off the ball anymore, so that's pretty nice. Um, Rob Rob did not have the best week to be making that argument. (laughs) I, I still thought he was like good. I, I, I prefer him to be in those lower usage scenarios. So I, I actually think it was kind of where we want him. And um, Romeo is like a legitimate team defender, and Jalen's not. So I, that, I don't. I don't even think like that's controversial. Adam, what did you say? I said I don't like you including Tristan Thompson in that argument either. I don't either. Tristan Thompson. Well, that you're you're just break. wrong. Tristan Tristan Thompson, Thompson was good for the past like ten games has so been a phenomenal a phenomenal defender of late yeah he, he was Ennis Cantor for 30 games and then he was like okay for 10 games so we can I'll, I'll give him the last 10 games yeah and his entire career all right so we finally got to the meat of the podcast we are going to rank the top five defenders on the Boston Celtics number one is Marcus Smart <laughs> are we all in agreement number one is Marcus Smart agreed I'm gonna pull up the roster number one might be Jason Tatum Come it's on. really close between those two guys for me I think I'm gonna lean towards Smart because I I really, 
You're gonna ask Jason. He can, he can defend five positions, so I'm, I'm gonna give Listen, it very it, slightly to Smart. Ask the players. Though the, the players will tell you Marcus Smart is better than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum would tell you that. Yeah, you guys are just goading Marcus Smart, so he comes after this podcast too. Yeah, let him let him have CLNS media. <laughs> Marcus Smart is a phenomenal defender. I'm not saying he's not. Jason Tatum is a really really good defender. He guards the best the t- other team's best player far more often than most superstars like far more often smart um, had zion in jail the other day so that's that's yeah it's gotta be smart smart's number one number two you want to put tatum has to be yep yep number three i'd put brown i would put tristan over brown easily I'm struggling because we traded Tice, and that would have been like my easy three or four guy. Um, I don't know, man. I just straight up think Romeo is a better defender than, than Jalen is. Wow. Um, I don't know if he's the. Yeah, third I don't know. Best what defender. is your basis for Jalen being such a good defender, Josh? To me, he locks people up. You know, in I think that he you can put him on a Kawhi, you can put him on certain players, and, and he's going to be fine because he's just got the physical tools and the, the one-on-one defensive capability to stay in front of guys. And, um, you know, he's, he's great with the closeouts. He's, you know, I, I do agree that the, the issue with him is off the ball. You know, he had that huge lapse against the Raptors in the playoffs, and that caused us, you know, major difficulties. And, you know, but I, I just think that he's – I mean, it's it's been obvious to me like that everyone's can kind of considered him a a top defender on the team for years. Like I just this is kind yeah, of but, coming out of nowhere for me. Yeah, but consensus, I think he's taking a step I mean, back this year. Opinion. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. Here I have he's a way. Ta- of he's taking it. a step back this year as he's as his offensive um, usage has increased, and I think you know there's been times when he's been tired and he's rested on defense that from what i can tell yeah. uh, but i think his, in terms of capacity uh i would put him third like in the playoffs this year he's third cuz i think he'll bring it in a different way he still may have some lapses uh with team defense yeah you're not going to put romeo langford on somebody in the playoffs over brown doesn't matter who it is. Brown Brown has only proven a consistent above average defender on guys like on fours. To be honest, he's not. He's never he, been a yeah. good shutdown guy on on elite wings ever. Like he, that's why I wanted Aaron Gordon once upon a time because Brown can't really defend those guys effectively. Like that's just not what he does. He can. He can. He's done a really good job on like Siakam. He can, yeah. he's, you know, he's strong. He can do, he can guard a guy dude, like. he ended Siakam's like, career, dude. <laughs> it's, it's arguable, yeah, Siakam for sure. saw the it, face of God and has, like, not recovered since that series. Like, J- Jalen has done, you know, you could even put him on guys like Ibaka and stuff, like, like, undersized fives. But against, like, like he's not out there guarding Luka. He's definitely, you know, he's not out there. I don't know. I uh, he he's Tatum's the one that's out there on like Kyle Lowry, like you just don't. I don't know. Tatum doesn't or Jalen doesn't really shut guys down. I don't. I think that's a false narrative. I think just because everyone says it doesn't make it true. <laughs> Josh, no, I, to your I, earlier I, point, okay. <laughs> I think they said it because it was true. But I could see him taking a step back with the increased load offensively, and that's something I'm going to take a look at. So we have two votes for uh, Jalen Brown as for number three. Uh, Mikey, I'm gonna put Rob third for mine. Okay, so I think that puts Jalen Brown third, doesn't it, for our list? So fourth on your list, sure. Williams, I think I think I think we have the top two uh, set as Smart and Tatum, and then we're looking at Brown, Rob Williams, Tristan Thompson. Is there anyone else in that conversation for third? I want to put Grant around fifth, but I, I don't know if I can do that yet. Yeah, so, so yeah, let's just, I, uh, let's just I, I would right here because we're, we're already to the point where we're like trying to put Grant Williams as one of our top five defenders on the team, and I just can't no. have that. You know, it's, like, just, it's just too dark. It's just too dark <laughs> is the reality. <laughs> Grant, all right. So I'm looking at just because just it's in front of me. Per 36 is a fraudulent stat. I don't care. Whatever. Grant fouls uh, – 
5.1 times per 36. If it was 3.1, I would put him fifth. That's like the one thing I can't stand is like his bad fouls. But when those are gone, then he's in there. Yeah, this is just highlighting the fact that we have no Jay Crowders. We have no Tony Allens. We have no... Uh, we have Romeo. I'm telling you. Dude, Romeo's already better defender than Jay, too. Jay Crowder's super slow. Sure, currently, yeah. You know, but like there once upon a time we had guys like Avery Bradley, you know, and right now it's Marcus Smart, and that's it, in my opinion. So All right. Uh well let's move on. Um but we're gonna end the podcast with all these interviews, Jeremy. We like to do a rapid fire NBA would you rather. So here's how this works. Oh boy. I'm gonna give you I'm two so options. This already. Two <laughs> options. You have to pick one. All right. Yeah. This the first one's gonna be easy for you. Right. Maybe not so much for other people, but Romeo Langford or Aaron Neesmith? Romeo. Next question: Grant Williams or Shemi Ojale? Oh, it's Grant. Easy. Okay, you're gonna like this one: Gordon Hayward at thirty million dollars a year, or Evan Fournier at like twenty twenty two million a year. Oh, man, recency bias is getting me here because Hayward just got hurt again, again, so again. it has to be Evan. Yeah. Again, if Hayward again. was healthy, I might have said it, but it, he got hurt for the 30th time. So. And that yeah, is isn't, the difference. Isn't Fournier, isn't Fournier on the, in the COVID protocols again, again? Yeah, he is in health and safety. He's, he's not exactly healthy. Okay, so if you <laughs> yeah. guys were going to bet who was going to miss more games next year, who would you bet would miss more games, Hayward or Fournier? Probably still Hayward. Right? Yes. All right, next question. Daniel Tice or Luke Cornett? Oh, I'm a big Daniel Tice guy. Okay, what if I put $1,000 in your pocket and you take Luke Cornett or no money and Daniel Tice? Wait, I'm getting paid for us to have a better rotation? I'll, yeah. <laughs> Tice was like the, the sacrificial lamb. It's not, like, it's not like cutting Teague or whatever. It was just for the greater good. But, I'll, I'll but take how money much money would Luke Cornett have to give you yeah. in order for you to take him over Daniel Tice? There you go. That's the oh, question. dude, just Everybody's buy me lunch. Just buy you lunch. <laughs> take a cheap date. All right. <laughs> price is low for Jeremy Stevens. Yeah. yeah. I don't and, ask for much. Um, Tatum or Brown? Tatum. All right, last question. Can the Celtics win a championship this year, yes or no? No. Oh. And there's the end do of the podcast. What, you Josh, guys were going to say can? yes? Um, I, I do think that there is a chance that the Celtics can oh win a championship God. this year still. Yeah. Nope. Call me crazy. I think um, there are two gatekeepers, which is LeBron's the obvious one. Kevin Durant is actually so nuts in the finals. Um, and he, he had like a pretty bad injury in OKC before the whole Golden State thing. And he looked super good this year. So there's, there's kind of some stuff yet to be seen with those guys. But... Uh, I really value guys that don't fall off late. And Durant's, like, so insane. I don't know about the, uh, Kyrie and Harden maintaining whatever. I, I, I have some doubts about both of them in a final setting. Uh, Durant's insane. Yeah, the Nets are the team to beat. Obviously, the Jazz are looking really good. You know, they're, I think their point differential is, like, seven points per game or eight points per game, which isn't, you know, what we saw from the Bucks a couple of years ago and these historic numbers that we've been seeing recently, but that's really good, and, and I don't think that they I don't think the Jazz regular, can win. Do you think they're just a regular season team, or do you think they're a, you know, like yeah, a true Yeah, yeah, I don't think the Jazz team? are going to win. Do you think the Jazz just are Just in the same team? way, like, look at that. Or, oh, wait, or, sorry, or, ask that again? Do you think the Jazz are a Western Conference Finals team? They can definitely make the Western Conference okay. Finals for sure. Okay. They are not winning a championship unless whatever injuries and, and other nonsense. But yeah. All right. Well, we got the upcoming. Well, go before you go, I, I just want to say because I, gosh, I just want to try to answer this question as whether I, I think the Celtics can win the championship this year. I'm probably still. I'm I'm closer to yes than I've been all season, um, because I think the Celtics have been playing clearly their best basketball of the of the season of late. And like the way that they're winning is meaningfully different. And the fact that they've won these last few games in such a gritty way without Fournier and knowing we have Fournier coming back, I actually think is really significant. Um, it feels like a, a totally different version of the team to me. So I'm far more bullish on the Celtics right now than I have been at any point this season. 
Mike, next um, ten games, what do you think the record is going to be? I'd have to look at the at the schedule, but I also didn't think there was any chance we were going to beat the Nuggets yesterday. So, uh, um, and we like the the fact that we beat them is one thing. The way that we beat them, I think, is what's most significant. A Celtics pod episode on on our, you know, our 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 sister podcast here on Celtics Blog Network, and uh, they were talking about how you know early in the season when we won games against good opponents, it was only because we had a good shooting night. We shot terribly against Denver, like atrociously. We won that game with like grit we got to the foul line and we played phenomenal defense like that is the hallmark of brad stevens teams if we get the talent we have on this team to actually start playing the way that these teams have played in the past then all of a sudden it's a totally different it's like a different team like i i actually would be willing to throw out basically the first three months of the season yeah, we're still season, whatever it was. We're um, still one game out of home court advantage for the playoffs, which yeah. makes me say that we are still one week away from greatness. This whole season has been the same like that. But I think like we're this comes out on Tuesday. We're going to be playing uh, Portland mm-hmm. Tuesday evening. Um, that's a winnable game. Portland has not been playing great. They just lost uh, to the Heat. And then we play the Lakers to round out this three-game uh, road trip, and the Lakers don't have either LeBron or AD. That's very winnable. Mm-hmm. Like, even going two and one on this road trip would be a huge success if we somehow pull off three and zero. Oh. Like, I, I, I mean, next week I, I I looked at the schedule briefly. I don't remember exactly who we play, but they're winnable games at home. Golden um, State. Then Chicago, then Phoenix at home. Golden State and Phoenix are not as winnable as Chicago. Well, I don't know. Chicago's been playing better lately. Uh, and then we play, and then we go to Brooklyn, and we go to Charlotte. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're seeing some old friends here, guys. We're seeing Ennis of Cantor. The, of those seven games, like I think we could go five and two in the, this next seven games. So, yeah, this Blazers game that we have tonight as this podcast drops on Tuesday, um, the Blazers are playing, I think this is their third game in four nights. And, you know, they got Norman Powell. He's like nine games into his Blazers tenure. He's averaging 16 points a game. I think they may have finally found their starting small forward that they've been looking for for several years now. Uh, Our guy, Ennis Cantor, just had a 30-rebound game. You guys know who, who the last person to have 30 rebounds in a game? Was it Kevin Love? Kevin Love did it in 2010. He had, I think, 32 rebounds. Andre Drummond? Kevin Love had 31 rebounds. Yeah, uh, I was going to say Drummond for the other guess. Drummond had 29 rebounds uh, in 2015. Um, but the last person to do it was Dwight Howard in 2018. He had 30 rebounds. 2018, hmm. Dwight Howard did that? Yeah. 30 rebound well, games. Was that like Houston? Houston what, who, yeah. 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 Or LA. Was, or... uh, with Charlotte. Oh, with Charlotte oh my God. <laughs> Did you, he like, didn't even look like he remember? could run that season. You guys remember that Dwight <laughs> Howard was even on the Charlotte Hornets? Yeah. That Actually, I, has like, a bunch of friends from North Carolina. So, yeah. I'm wondering how many guesses it would have taken me. It probably would have taken me somewhere between 25 and 30 guesses to figure out, out Charlotte was the team he was on. <laughs> when that 30-rebound game happened, I saw, I think it was Bobby Manning tweeted, you know, he didn't even remember the last person to get 30 rebounds in a game. And There's been a lot of that on Twitter. Adam, do you remember when we were kids back in the early 90s who got, you know, this crazy rebound game? You're thinking of the same name? You're my twin brother, so I got to test to see if you're thinking of the same name that I'm thinking of. Dennis Rodman. No, Ronnie Cycli. Ronnie Cycli had 34 rebounds in a game. Charles Oakley had 35 rebounds in a game back in 1988, like back when he was still with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Um, but if you're looking at rebounds historically, like it all, all the top rebounding numbers were from the 1960s. It was all Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell. So shout out to Ennis Cantor. Um, and then uh, a week from now, we have... Uh, the Bulls, we get to see our old friend Daniel Tice. 
Did you guys see that tweet with Javante in the Bulls uh, jersey? No. No. It was a couple days after. Dude, he looks so tight in that jersey. It's like perfect for him. <laughs> I also I like want to cry because we had to like sacrifice Tatum's best friend to make a good trade. But anyway, he looks amazing. Yeah, we referred to um, Teague, Javante, and uh, Tice getting traded as, as the elimination of Brad's binkies. Last episode, um, <laughs> which, uh, again, for the greater good. And a lot has yeah. been made on Twitter about Daniel Tice not getting as many fouls called when he's taken off the green jersey, only 1.3 fouls in 22 minutes of play. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully his career will turn around now that he's not a Celtic and getting a bad whistle. All right, Jeremy, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Uh no, we said my Twitter at the beginning. That's all good. That's that's all. Yeah, that's it. All right, everybody. Uh, make sure you rate, review, subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to Jeremy Stevens at Jeremy WCT on Twitter. Remember, uh, you know we're always here for you guys. Celtics Pride Pod. You can hit us up uh, at Twitter, Celtics Pride Pod, or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or Coach Motenko. This is Celtics Pride for Celtics Blog. So...